Well, welcome to Providence Baptist Church this evening. We're going to continue our study in 1 Kings tonight. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. If you want to go ahead and uh, take out your copy of God's Word and turn there. Um, just remember a few announcements. We are actually going to be able to meet together this Sunday. And we're not going to gather at the church this Sunday, but we're going to gather at Timeless Traditions uh, wedding venue there in Spring Hill. Uh, thank you so much to Brother Russell Turner and Miss Allison Turner uh, for agreeing to let us use that. We're going to spread out there in the yard or the field uh, of the Timeless Traditions. There, we'll have plenty of room to practice social distancing there. And so, we just ask that you get on the Facebook page and read the guidelines for how we're going to do the service there. We're not going to pass around an offering plate, so be looking for the box there where you can drop your offering into uh, this Sunday morning. Hopefully next Wednesday uh, we'll be able to meet together practicing some of those guidelines at the church for a Wednesday night Bible study. There won't be any little kids programs uh, for a while, uh, but hopefully we'll have the cleaning supplies and everything in line to be able to meet together at the church next Wednesday. <clears throat> and we'll just take this week by week, so just watch the Facebook page uh, for guidelines, and then uh, if you have any questions, feel free to contact me either on Facebook or call me or text me, whatever you'd like to do. Uh, but let's go to the Lord in prayer before we uh, have our Bible study tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we bow before you. <clears throat> we ask you that you will continue to show your sovereignty in this situation that this country is going through or this pandemic. I ask you that, Lord, if it be your will, you'll alleviate this as fast as possible, that you'll completely take this out of the equation, Lord, if possible, I ask you that you'll completely eliminate this virus. God, I ask you that you'll provide a vaccine for it. Lord, whatever the case, I thank you for allowing us to still be able to put out your word uh, digitally, Lord, meeting online, things of that nature. And Lord, I ask you that that word won't return void. And I ask you that you'll bring new people to the church through this whenever we are able to, to meet back together the way we used to. And God, those who are suffering from this, those who are on the front lines battling it, I ask you that you will uh, just protect them. Lord, I ask you that you'll give them comfort and healing, Father. <clears throat> God, I ask you to go with those who have lost jobs. I ask you that you'll restore their jobs back to them, Lord. I ask you that you'll uh, bless our economy once again, Lord. God, I ask you that this will open people's eyes to cause them uh, to see the brevity of life, the frailty of life, Lord, how fragile life is. ask you to cause people to turn to you, Lord. ask you to open people's eyes to eternity. Lord, I ask you that this will this just to help us to just seek to live our lives for you, Lord, knowing that anything could happen tomorrow. <clears throat> God, I ask you that you'll exalt your son, Jesus Christ, and bring yourself glory and expand your kingdom through this. I ask you that you'll bring people to salvation through it, Father. And I ask you to help us as Christians be a, a source of hope through all this, Lord. We can point people to our true hope, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, we love you. I ask you that you'll go with this Bible study tonight. Just move me out of the way, Lord. Just let people hear your word. And help myself and everyone else apply your words to their lives, Father. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. 1 Kings chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 16 through 28 tonight, and we'll read those verses as we come to them. So the text opens up, and we see where Solomon is facing a dilemma. 
uh, his wisdom that he prayed for last week in our study is now going to be put to, to the test here in our study tonight. Uh, the context really for this difficult dilemma, and it's really wise but simple at the same time solution, is the extraordinary gift that God had given King Solomon, and that was again the gift he prayed for last week, and that's the gift of wisdom. He had prayed for the gift of an understanding mind and a discerning heart uh, so that he could tell the difference between right and wrong for the people of God, uh, so he could govern the people of God properly. And God, we saw, was pleased with Solomon's request because God promised to give Solomon exactly what he had asked for, and he did. He gave him, uh, verse 12 says, a wise and discerning mind and a wise and discerning heart. So now... This wisdom uh, of Solomon was about to be put to the test, and it was going to be put to the test in the form of this legal dispute between two, woman, uh, two women over the custody of a child. This is really a, a famous case. Most people in the Bible know, uh, most people know this story in the Bible, uh, but it was also a difficult case at the same time. There was nobody else in the entire kingdom who was going to be able to s decide. Uh, on this case, on what to do. There were no lawyers involved. Uh, we we're going to see it was just one woman against another woman. Verse 16, and our text says, Now two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. Uh, so the first woman that came before King Solomon was the victim. And this is her testimony in verses 17 through 21. <clears throat> it says, And one woman said, My Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house. And I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened <clears throat> the third day after I had given birth that this woman also gave birth. And we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. <clears throat> and this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her... Sorry, and laid her child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, uh, there he was dead. But when I had examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had born. So this testimony from this first woman uh, is really a horrible, horrible story. Uh, this is a story that is not easily forgotten. That's why most people uh, who have read the Bible remember this story. Uh, her testimony really takes us inside of a brothel there somewhere around Jerusalem. Uh, there were no clients there that night. They were just these two lonely prostitutes and their newborn babies uh, who were there asleep there at night. Uh, but the next morning, when they woke up from their sleep, one of them received a horrible shock. The other prostitute had accidentally rolled over in her sleep onto her baby and suffocated her own child during the night. And then she took her dead child and swapped it with the other prostitute's living child and claimed that child as her own. So she kidnapped the other child and placed the dead child by the other prostitute. And so this first, the victim, the first woman gave her story. Now at this point, the second woman, she interrupts and she decided she's going to begin to tell her side of the story. In verse 22, says, The other woman said, No! But the living one is my son, and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, No, but the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before 
the king. So the other woman interrupted to tell her side of the story, and that's kind of become uh, kind of a shouting match back and forth there before King Solomon. And so the whole situation is really horrible. Uh, it's really a sorrowful, sorrowful situation. And really everybody in this story, every one of these characters deserves our pity. We obviously should pity the woman whose son was stolen. And now she was so desperate to get that son back. Uh, in her desperation, we really see every mother's longing for a lost child. Every mother who has lost a child, no matter how they lost the child, is really uh, in a horrible, desperate situation. But we should also sympathize with the woman accused of kidnapping the child, I believe. I mean, think about this. How horrible must it have been to wake up in the middle of the night and realize you have rolled over onto your child and suffocated that child and smothered it, and now it's dead. That's horrible. We should feel sorry for her in that regard. But also King Solomon, he also deserves our sympathy. How can he possibly resolve this situation? I mean, ordinarily, the testimony of an additional witness would have been required to reach a verdict in a case like this. That's what the law of God stated. According to Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, <clears throat> one witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits, but by the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. So there should have been uh, two or three witnesses to go along with either one of the women's stories. So this was going to be a hard case to resolve. In this particular case, there were no other witnesses. It was really just a classic case of she said, she said. It was one woman against another woman. And you know, anyone who has ever tried to dissolve a dispute without any witnesses knows how hard it can be to determine exactly what happened. I mean, when I was growing up, uh, when my brother and I got in trouble or did something, it was always the other one's fault. If I got in trouble, it was Jut Curtis's fault, right? If he got in trouble, it was my fault. And there was no witnesses. So how was Jack Curtis going to discern uh, which one of us deserved to take the punishment, right? Well, to be honest with you, it wasn't too hard. He'd just take the belt out with both of us. <laughs> But nevertheless, this was a case of she said, she said. So how was he going to come to a just verdict? How was he going to do this? Sometimes in these situations, it seems like the, the only person who really knows what happened is God himself. So how is Solomon going to come about the truth? Which one of these women is telling him the truth? Well, this was a serious test of the gift that God had promised to give Solomon here. Did he have enough wisdom to discern between good and evil in this case? Could he determine the truth and render a just verdict? Is he going to be able to figure out what happened? Well, we see in verse 23 where after Solomon summarized really what the women had told him there in verse 23, he began to put a really a simple solution into action. First, he said this in verse 24. He said, bring me a sword. Bring me a sword. Now, can you imagine how startled this must have made Solomon's servants, not to mention the two women who were arguing over the baby? Can you imagine how startled they must have been by this command? I mean, what did they think Solomon planned to do with this deadly weapon, a sword, right? What was he going to do with this? This reminds me of a story that's funny to me. It wasn't funny at the time, but it's funny now. 
uh, my dad and I were working cows there in Bodcaw, and we had an old crazy cow in the in the corral in the chute, and somehow she threw a fit and got turned sideways with her all four legs sticking under the bottom board on that corral. And we tried and tried and tried to get her out of there. And I don't know if you know anything about your father when you're working cows with your daddy. For some reason, your daddy turns into the devil, okay? <laughs> but we tried everything we could to get this cow out. And it done got pretty heated. And eventually, Dad just backed off. And he looked at that cow. And he turned and turned to me. And he said, go get the chainsaw. That reminds me of Solomon saying, go get the sword. It shocked me. It startled me. I had no, all I could think of was that he was going to take this chainsaw and he was going to cut this cow's legs off. And then we was going to pull her out of that chute uh, with a truck and a rope. That's all that went through my mind. He said, go get the chainsaw. The first thing I did was go tell mom that I was scared to death to take it back to him because I was scared he's going to cut this cow up into pieces. I didn't know what he was going to do. Never crossed my mind that he was just going to take the chainsaw and cut that section of boards out of that corral so we could get that cow out of there. So it didn't turn out quite like I, was, I had planned. And luckily, we're going to see that this doesn't turn out like people might have thought either. So they brought King Solomon the sword. They brought the sword to him, and then he gave this deadly command. He said in verses 24 and 25, Divide the living child in two, and give half to one and half to the other. Can you imagine what people must have thought when they heard this? They must have thought uh, that Solomon had lost his mind. This was not wisdom. This was craziness, right? But listen, there was a method to King Solomon's apparent madness here. Solomon never intended his command to be executed. That was never really part of his plan. What he was doing here was staging a test that would reveal uh, what was really in each one of these women's hearts. So Solomon's dreadful decree here, <clears throat> we're going to see, has its desired effect immediately. The first woman responded with the compassion of a true mother's heart. She had the true compassion in her heart for her true child. Verse 26 says, Then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son. And she said, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill it. So as soon as uh, the real mother heard what Solomon intended to do with this sword, notice what happened. Her maternal instincts took over. She would do anything to save her child. Uh, she would even give it up to her enemy, this other, this other prostitute who was lying. She would even give it to her if it would spare and save her child's life. So she cried out for the king to spare her child's life. You know, we've got Mother's Day coming up on us uh, this Sunday. And we're going to celebrate our mothers. And this, this woman, although she had a lot wrong with her, she shows us here what a good mother is willing to do. A good mother and a good father, by the way, are willing to make sacrifices for their children. Every single day, they're willing to do that. Instead of uh, putting their wants and desires uh, at, in first place, they're willing to make sacrifices and do what's best for their children, and that's what a good mother does. And so we see that in this lady. Well, the other woman <clears throat> had a very different response to this threat of King Solomon's sword. She really said heartlessly in verse 26, 
Let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. Listen, if she couldn't have her own son, then she didn't want anybody else to have a son either. She was willing to allow Solomon to go ahead and use the sword and divide this child and take her half and be happy with it. And so now we see that the hearts of both of these women are now revealed. And Solomon now knew everything that he needed to know to be able to resolve this dilemma, to be able to solve this problem, even though he didn't have any witnesses. God gave him the wisdom to be able to solve it. So he gave his ruling in verse 27. He said, Give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him. She is his mother. So Solomon had devised a wise test. Even it's so simple, but it's so wise at the same time. And it revealed each one of these women's hearts, and it brought forth the truth. It, it exposed them, exposed their, their hearts. So justice had been done, and now the king had reached a righteous verdict. And then word of what he had done spread throughout the kingdom like wildfire. Uh, people, we're going to see, were amazed at the wise, but yet so simple uh, a way that he solved this difficult problem, this difficult dilemma. And the story spread all over the country in verse 28 said, And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. And so this proved that his prayers for a discerning heart and a wise mind had been answered by the Lord. He had been given an understanding mind to properly govern the people of God, just like he had prayed for uh, back over in verse 9. So that's, that's an amazing story. And that is a really a, a very wise and godly decision that Solomon made. Nobody else would have thought of that. And it's a story that we're familiar with, that people remember. It's a very, very popular Bible story. But the question is, what does this story have to do with us? What does this story have to do with our need for a wise king? Well... The scripture tells us that uh, all scripture is beneficial for training in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is profitable. So that means this story is profitable for us uh, spiritually as well. You know, whenever we consider King Solomon, anytime we read and think about King Solomon, we need to remember that in Matthew chapter 12 verse 42, Jesus described himself as one who is greater than than Solomon. Well, Jesus is greater than Solomon in every way, in many ways, and in every way. But what is greater about Jesus in this case is his superior wisdom for performing justice, for doing justice. In 1 Kings 3.28, we read that the wisdom of God was in Solomon to do justice. Well, we can apply that statement directly uh, to the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The wisdom of God was also in him to do even greater justice. And one way we see this connection is to look at Solomon's prayer in Psalm chapter 72. That's where Solomon asked God for wisdom in judging the people of God. In Psalm 72, verses 1 through 2 and verse 4, he prayed this, "'Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son.'" 
May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. May he defend the cause of the poor uh, of the people. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. So what's going on here is Solomon is really praying for himself. He's praying for the Lord to give him the wisdom for justice. He needed to be able to defend the cause of the poor just like he defended this mother from losing her child. He needed to uh, be able to deliver the children of the needy just like he had saved this mother's son. And he needed to crush the oppressor just as he exposed this second woman for trying to kidnap this other woman's child. And so Solomon prayed for the wisdom to rescue the poor and the needy from their oppressor. Do you see that there? Well, ultimately, like many other psalms, by the way, Psalm 72 really looks forward and points us forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as our final and true righteous king. You see, Jesus is the king of all righteousness. Jesus is the judge of all justice. Jesus defends the cause of the poor. He delivers the children of the needy, and he crushes their oppressors. And Jesus made this very clear from the very outset of his ministry. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, when he preached his very first sermon in Nazareth, he announced that he had come to proclaim the good news to the poor and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So Jesus has promised us justice. And honestly, we long for that justice, don't we? We long for the, the justice of the Lord to be done. But you know, the truth of the matter is, sometimes we see justice done in this life, and sometimes we don't. But I want you to understand something. And I want you to remember something. Justice will be done in the end. You can mark it down. Justice will be done. Listen, the wisdom of God is in Jesus to do righteous judgment, to perform righteous judgment, to do justice. And one day he will make everything right. The Bible describes the day of judgment in Romans 2.16 as a day when God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Listen to me. I want you to, to understand this. At the final judgment, what happened to this second woman in this text will happen to every single enemy of God. What happened? Her sins were discovered and they were brought to light. That's what will happen to everybody. Their sins will be discovered and their sins will be brought to the light. We see in, in the Bible, in 2 Corinthians 5.10, Matthew 16.27, Revelation 22.12, this is true. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Listen, it's all going to come to light. And all of this is going to happen to the praise of God and to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if people held Solomon in awe, if they were amazed by what Solomon done and reaching the right verdict in just this one difficult 
dilemma. Just this one hard case. Imagine how much honor Jesus is going to receive for righting every single wrong in the history of the world. Imagine how and all people are going to be of that. At the final judgment, when we see the wise justice of God in his son, Jesus Christ, we are going to stand in awe of our great righteous king. Revelation 19, 1 and 2 says that when God executes his final judgments against sin, his people will cry out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. You know, a lot of times, this makes us feel uneasy, and rightfully so. The, The justice of God should cause us to be more than a little uneasy. It should make us pretty nervous, to be honest with you. If if people are telling the truth, they'll say it does. And the reason for that is because we know that we have done many things that we should never have done as well. I mean, we have also done things when people weren't looking. We've done things maybe in the middle of the night that we hope people will never find out about. That's just the truth, if you'll be honest. And so... We might want justice for everybody else, but truth be told, we don't really want justice for ourselves, do we? And not if you're wise, you don't. You want mercy. We want the just mercy of God. And the truth of the matter is, that's what we desperately need. We desperately need not what we deserve, but the mercy of Almighty God. And we catch a glimpse of that mercy in Solomon here. His verdict points us to the merciful wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember, this story began with two prostitutes appearing before the anointed king, appearing before King Solomon. And the ugly truth of the matter is, the reality of the matter is, that both of these women were living in horrible sin. They were both horrible sinners. They were both selling their bodies for sex. They were prostitutes. And the law of God explicitly condemned prostitution. You look at Deuteronomy chapter 23, Exodus chapter 20. So both of these women were guilty sinners. But Solomon, notice, Solomon showed mercy really to both of these women. Both of them could have been could have been dealt with and judged, but specifically to one woman, to one woman, the woman that appealed to him. Solomon showed mercy to the woman that appealed to him by protecting her from this injustice. Now, many people, if not most people, would have said that prostitutes and their bastard children did not deserve any justice or any mercy at all. And folks, most people today would say the same thing. People that call themselves Christians would say the same thing. But Solomon treated them as real people who really mattered. You notice this? Solomon had mercy on a baby who was about to lose his mother, and he had mercy on a woman who was about to lose her child and would do anything to save her child. Folks, the reality is the lives of these people mattered as much to them as our lives mattered to us. These were real people with real problems. But more importantly than that, every life matters to God. Every life matters to the Lord. Even a life that is enslaved in gross sin matters to the Lord. And if God has mercy for them, 
He has mercy for everyone who comes to him in faith, who appeals to him in faith. Listen, God knows you by your name. And he also knows whatever it is that you've done wrong, no matter how gross it is, no matter how horrible it is, he knows. And yet he still invites you to put your trust in a Savior who is greater than King Solomon. He still sent his only begotten Son, the greater than Solomon, to pay your penalty for sin. And all you've got to do is appeal to him in faith, and he'll save you. And so as much as people revered and celebrated King Solomon, how much more should we give greater reverence to the Lord Jesus Christ, who Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.24, is the power and the wisdom of God. Folks, we should stand in awe at the justice that Jesus Christ, our great, true, righteous King, will display at the final judgment. Listen, every wrong will be made right by the Lord Jesus. And we should tremble at His judgments as well. He will judge every sin. He will judge every sinner just as they deserve. And we should also stand in awe of His grace and mercy for poor and needy sinners. Because every single one of us were in that boat at one point in time. He knows each one by name. And listen, he has done everything necessary to save every single sinner. To forgive every single sin. He has done everything necessary to save them. You see, God in his infinite wisdom provided a simple yet profound, profoundly wise solution for the most difficult dilemma in the history of the world. The most difficult dilemma there ever has been and ever will be, and that is the problem of our sin. How could he maintain his perfect justice while at the same time showing mercy to sinners? How could he do that? How could a just God justify the ungodly? How could a righteous God take unrighteous people and make them righteous? Here's how. By sending his only begotten son to die on Calvary's cross. That's how he did it. Even though it was extremely costly to God, even though it cost Jesus Christ everything, the crucifixion is God's wise yet simple solution for us. It's God's simple solution to the problem of how to atone for sin while at the same time preserving the mercy and justice of Almighty God. You see, it's the greatest solution for the worst problem of all time. So I ask you this evening, have you put your trust in God's wise yet simple solution? It's not difficult. It's not difficult for you to put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if you feel the Holy Spirit dealing with you, drawing you to salvation, all you've got to do is bow your head and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and the Bible says you will be saved. And listen to me, you'll never regret that. 
your problems will be solved as far as eternity goes. You don't have to fear an eternity separated from God. You can look forward to glory if you appeal to the all-wise King, the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you've done that. And if you have done that, listen, now I challenge you to do this. Share the wisdom of our King. Share it. Uh, the Lord now calls us to serve our wise King by sharing His wisdom, by sharing uh, His uh, plan of salvation, by, by doing justice for people, by showing love and mercy toward people. Listen, we are to show other people the same grace that God has shown to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. The same grace that Solomon showed these prostitutes. So I ask you, are we compassionate and loving towards others the way Solomon was towards these women, the way the Lord Jesus Christ was in even a greater way towards us? And are we sharing God's wise yet so simple solution for the problem of sin with other people? Listen, that's one of the best ways to show compassion and mercy to people is to share the good news of the gospel with them. I challenge you to do that. Thank you for being with us tonight here and studying the Bible and worshiping the Lord with us with Providence Church. Again, I hope to see you this Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at Timeless Traditions there in Spring Hill, Arkansas. God bless you.